Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 230 of the Spoiler Alert Podcast, brought to you by MovieOutsiders.com. We'll be reviewing the long-awaited prequel to the 1949 British film noir starring Orson Welles, The Third Man. This one, directed by Damien Chazelle, called First Man. Danny, how are you doing tonight? You know, I'm doing well. Can you imagine if that's what this movie really was? <laughs> Hollywood is so out of ideas. They just went back 70 years. We'll do said, a prequel. Oh, maybe we'll just we'll do a prequel. We'll call it First Man. If that one works out, we'll, well we got a, second We got another shot. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's not what this movie is, though. No, it's this not. Is... This is no. the uh, new biopic of Neil Armstrong, actually directed by Damien Chazelle. Best right. director winner right. for La La Land and his third feature film. Full-length feature, yeah. yep. Yep, after Whiplash and La La Land, yeah. Right. Yeah, well, I, uh, I got to say right off the bat, I think I, I spoke maybe last week talking about uh, how much I hated seeing movies in the theater with a bunch of old people because they just talk through the... The movie at odd times. I had a similar experience seeing First Man. Oh, no. But I also just have to start right up with a quick gripe. I can't handle 25 minutes plus of trailers anymore. In today's day and age, when we can get trailers at any moment, you can see all the movie trailers you want on on demand, on YouTube, on your phone, in the theater lobby, wherever. Why do we suddenly need eight of them? We used to get by with two or three. And I just don't understand. I'm with you. I saw this movie on Sunday with a mutual friend of ours, and we went in, like, right at the uh, showtime. So, you know, you get the 30 minutes of uh, pre-show content, and so we saw just a minute or two of that. But then, yeah, I mean, 20 minutes of trailers after that, and that's, that's the way the industry works. It's, it's old. It's so severe. I just... A bit be, much, yeah. It feels like it should have been the other way, right? Like we used, we should have been that we used to have to sit through eight of them because that's the only chance you could see them. And now it's like, oh, you can see those whenever you want. Here's two or three. I just don't understand. It's driving me crazy. Well, as you mentioned, this is uh, Damien Chazelle's third feature film. It is a biopic. It is, I guess, some people are saying it's a sci-fi film. It and, is not a sci-fi they, film at all. Well, they're calling it that because they're trying to explain away why it wasn't a ginormous success on its first weekend in the box mm. office. Okay. And several people – It did well. Uh, read, it did fine. I think it did like $16.5 million and, and the yeah. expectation was sort of 18 well, to 20. 20 mil- yeah, right. But some people are like, oh, well, it's a sci-fi film and uh, those don't do that great at the box office and – um, you know, some people are saying because we've had so many great sci-fi films over the years, no one cares about this topic. No one's really interested in in going to the moon anymore. And I just think that's really interesting because five of the eight trailers I sat through were based on a true story yeah, or right. type of headlines. Like clearly if the thought is no one wants to see true stories anymore, we we could skip five of those movies altogether. Not just the trailers but not even make them. So I just – I think it's a really interesting – issue that people are trying to kind of pin the tail on. Why is this maybe underperformed a little bit? First Man follows Neil Armstrong uh, from his days as a civilian test pilot and engineer all the way through to the Apollo 11 mission during which he became the first human to step on the moon. It loosely also is, I guess, the biopic of the U.S. uh, space race. 
uh, and the Apollo and Gemini missions that uh, preceded our landing on the moon and, and, and covers many of the notable uh, sort of events there. And then just tracks Neil as a family man uh, and sort of gives us glimpses into his life with his wife, Janet, played by Claire Foy, uh, their two sons and their small daughter, uh, who ultimately died uh, pretty early on. So it uh, that's that's First Man. That's what it's about. What did you think of the movie? If you'd have asked me this question two days ago when I saw it, I'd have said, it was good. And I would say that two days later, after 48 hours to kind of marinate a little bit, I'd say, yeah, it, it was a little boring at parts. <laughs> <laughs> two but days later, it's still boring. It's still a little boring, but I think that I can appreciate it more 48 hours later. I feel like I've... I've thought about the story. I've thought about Neil Armstrong. I didn't know much about this man, which is kind of crazy, right? I mean, this is this is the first man to land on the moon. Right. And he was from the United States. And I don't really know an awful lot. He, he gets no holiday, right? Like, we don't stop right. the mail for a day for this guy. I guess the the intimacy of his story that was told through this film, I've been able to appreciate more over the last two days as I ruminated on it than I would have said when I came out. Uh, well, I just saw it today and I didn't mind that it was, I wouldn't say boring. I'd call it stately because I do think okay. it's slower and deliberate, especially for Damien Chazelle. When you look right. at Whiplash and La La Land where there's yeah. so much going on and the pace and the tempo of those movies, is much faster. Um, but to me, it showed that Chazelle, I thought was really in command of the film, and I thought really showed a lot of maturity as a director relative, again, to a guy who won Best Director for his second film. When he was like 14 years old. Right, right. He was still right. going through puberty. But right. what I sort of had a trouble with was I just felt that I'm not that much closer to Neil Armstrong. I felt like he sort of came in as oh. a bit of a cipher. I guess I learned a few things about him, but he still felt really at arm's length the whole way and and mm -hmm. we'll get to like the things that I, I just struggled with ryan gosling i thought did a really good job but there are many times where i felt like he was almost playing the same character he played in blade runner 2049 where he played a robot you know like, or like really the just, ides of march where he's just sort of a like disconnected yeah kinda. really <laughs> flat affect just sort of barely there ghost of a guy and i don't know i just felt like Again, the, the pace and the tone and that stately, slower, deliberate structure I had no problem with, but I would have loved to actually know more about the subject of the film, I guess. Okay. I, I think that it's awesome that you described it that way because um, A.O. Scott in the New York Times referred to Ryan Gosling's portrayal of Neil Armstrong as a cold fish, which I remember you describing, I think it was... Emma Thompson, you know, uh, must have been Saving Mr. Banks that we'd reviewed. Oh, wow. Okay. A.O. Scott in the New York Times, who actually was favorable about Ryan Gosling's portrayal of Neil Armstrong, still referred to him as a cold fish. And I think that that kind of hits on exactly what we're getting at here. We didn't get we didn't get a lot of meat on the bones. We did character. We didn't get a lot of meat. And and what the meat that we got, you know, I think added some depth to him as a person, but the portrayal just came off 
as really a flat affect. And and I thought it was interesting. This week, Lena Dunham uh, has come out. She's a producer of a TV show called Camping on HBO. And Jennifer Garner is one of the stars. And apparently there's a character in there that many reviewers have described as unlikable. And it's a female character. And Lena Dunham says that if you call a character unlikable, it is the it is pure, unadulterated misogyny. And it's lazy reviewing and it's just like the most disgusting, male-centric, a-hole type of thing you can say about a character. But I thought Neil Armstrong okay. and Janet in this movie are sort of unlikable. But but all, but mainly because they just still seem unknowable. I mean I still feel like after almost two and a half hours with them, I'm not that much closer to knowing what makes them tick and why they are the way they are. I mean so – We'll just skip right in here. I mean there, there are things that I thought were great. I, I did think – and it's weird to say that I think the acting is really good because I do generally think it was really strong. But the way that they portray Armstrong, especially as a parent who seems so broken up about his young daughter dying and yet has zero relationship with his two sons mm-hmm. to the point where the scene where his wife makes him say goodbye to them – is like one of the most awkward family scenes I've seen in a long yeah. time. Yeah. The, you know, yeah. he doesn't he doesn't even tell him I love you. You know, one son just shakes his hand on the way out rather than give him a hug. It, it so like why why do you seem to hate your kids or not you're not close to them? I just I just didn't get it. And so I felt like he was unlikable which made it tough to really access the film other than to say superbly well made. Production design, sound, score, you know, I thought everything else about it was technically great. I just couldn't really get into it. To me, the the impact of those scenes was the fact that, you know, Danny, you and I are friends. And so, you know, that we had a health scare with our daughter. And it's a it's right. a situation that I can't talk about for more than 30 seconds without getting teared up about. But, you know, of course, this story, my story ends with with a happy ending. Right. And. And right. his unfortunately did not. And there's a scene where he, I think, like you know, at her her funeral or or at the wake or something like that. The he wake, goes yeah. into his office and he just shuts all of the notebooks that he'd been keeping to kind of track her treatment plan. And there were moments going through a, a very serious health scare with our daughter that I could at least put a tag on that with and that was just absolutely gut-wrenching to me right that you know he's there in his his tie he's trying to be stately at the event where he's hosting all of these mourners and and oh my god you know like there he is just closing the notebooks like well this doesn't this doesn't matter anymore now we've right. we've lost our daughter and that was a really impactful scene to me that spoke a lot i I can only imagine and and again i don't have that shared experience um but as a parent i I, that that scene totally broke me up i mean all the scenes i mean there's a there's a moment before his daughter passes where it's just a quiet moment of she's sleeping and he's like looking at her hair and i was already like busting tears like it just so beautiful and then at, at the end when he's on the moon and he has sort of the flashes of his daughter and takes a moment to think about her. I mean, that was one of the most touching sequences I've seen in, in years. I wept. Yeah. yeah. And so I, I think that there were those, again, beautiful moments, very well acted, very well directed. But if you put those aside and say, other than that, I don't know much about Neil Armstrong. 
other no. than he was kind of a real taskmaster no. and I guess a good engineer, but I couldn't tell if he was passionate about going to space really or not, or if it was an intellectual challenge mostly, or what drove him. I totally or agree. I mean, Buzz Aldrin plays Buzz Aldrin's character plays the most supporting of supporting roles in this movie, and I feel like I got a little bit better glimpse into his character of what a prick he was. Yeah, what a. He played Buzz Aldrin as a real dad. <laughs> like, but like, I no feel like likes Buzz I know a little bit more about him than I did about Neil Armstrong. You know, one of the things that I loved about it is that, holy crap, they 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 did way better than Ron Howard in Apollo 13 at making the 1960s spacecraft look ancient. Like, honest yeah. to God, if... If somebody were to come to me and say, we need to launch you into space today, you can either go in your Nissan Leaf, my electric <laughs> my electric vehicle, or this thing over here. Right, right. I'd have picked the frickin' Leaf. Like, I the, the little knobs and switches that they've got in that thing, I don't, like, nobody's even flown in it, but they all look kind of, like, dingy and dirty, and you're just like, God, what what is this? It looked like hell. I mean, ever so. And again, this movie, right off the bat, the first sequence is Neil Armstrong in an experimental aircraft, and he he goes up, sort of over the atmosphere. So he leaves Earth's atmosphere, and then he's stuck like bouncing across it and can't get down. I thought, oh great, new new nightmare material. You know, three minutes into this movie, my fear of heights, my fear of flying. They portray these experimental aircraft and and the spaceship, I totally agree, as like these totally utilitarian, like just get the job done, no attention paid to like comfort or aesthetics. There's a billion switches and you're right. I mean super cramped. I mean I don't know how they moved. I don't know how they know which switches to throw. You know, you can't right, hear what anyone's right. telling you in your in your, your earpiece but apparently they're telling you what dial to turn and to the exact measurement while you're – being thrown ass over tea kettle at a thousand miles an hour in space and these guys can somehow do it. I mean, it's remarkable. But the sequence uh, for the Gemini 8 when they're blasting off, if that doesn't oh, win somebody God. the best they're, sound they're, they've Oscar, got this one sewn up. Every creak and crack and it just you can just hear like the metal yeah. expanding and being stressed and every rivet is like just about to pop. It, it is terrifying. I mean, I just was so scared just listening to all those insane noises. It absolutely noises. is terrifying. Scary. I completely agree. I, I think that they way outdid the true-to-life space stories that we've seen up to this point there. And and yeah. the scene that you referenced where he's bouncing off the atmosphere, I'm like, God, I don't think they covered this in the right stuff back in the 80s. And I've always wondered... What makes somebody want to go into space? What is the driver that takes them there? And I think he had kind of a death wish. Like, you know, he's he is in grief beyond grief that most people will ever need to deal with. Thank God. And I don't think he'd ever, like, go into the garage and start the car and, and sit there. But... If I'm going to go, this would be the way to do it, right? Like embracing the new frontier, that was really moving to me. I, I guess I can see that. And again, I, I do think that they were trying to portray the loss of his daughter as a, a, clearly a key defining moment for him. Did you know about that about but, him? Because I didn't. I, I was completely 
oblivious I, to that. No, I had read okay. I had read about it, but like you said at the opening, I mean, this is a guy who literally was part of a huge group that changed right, the course right. of human history, and we know right. next to nothing about. I think. Let me ask you this: Who's the third guy? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I I didn't know if there were three guys still, that even landed on the movie. Still moon. to they, this day, right. right? I just saw the movie. Lucas Haas plays him. You've got you've got Buzz Aldrin, Neil Armstrong, and some dude. <laughs> And that poor guy is the bronze winner of life, right? He, we should all know his name as well. And I, have <laughs> I think no he was idea. like a minute behind, but, but nobody well, he cares. Down. He, nobody he, was, cares. he was orbiting for a couple, you know, for the whole time <laughs> all by himself. Uh, let me ask you this. So this is a movie, another one of the movies where, again, it takes place in the 60s and Damien Chazelle and his cinematographer chose to use – like actual film and or it looks real grainy, a lot of yeah. natural light. A lot of handheld so shots too. Handheld. Yeah. So it yeah. looks like it was filmed in the 60s. Yeah. How did how did you feel about that? I liked it. You did? I thought it carried really well. I appreciated the the grainy, nostalgic look to it. I mean, okay. but you probably didn't even need to do that to make Mission Command look like just a pile of <laughs> Like, I mean, they're all just smoking. They're just overflowing ashtrays in this room. Right, it's like, right. like, how is this even a government operation? But I actually really liked that style to it. How, it I, the fact that you asked me, it makes me think you didn't love I just, it. I felt like it was really, I don't want to say an obvious choice, but I kind of felt like, oh, I mean, we have 4K high definition these days. Right. This... Like, to purposely make the movie look grainier and the quality a little fuzzy. I mean, again, I get the nostalgia of it, but uh, it just I, it sort of rubbed me the, the wrong way. All right. Uh, how about poor Patrick Fugit <laughs> as an actor? What happened to that guy? Ever yeah. since Almost Famous, he's in movies for like <laughs> five favorite. minutes. Yeah, I love, love that guy. I mean, this guy, I saw him and I was like, oh, good, good for him. Oh, he died. Okay. <laughs> oh, that's too bad. I really struggled with the relationship between Neil Armstrong and his wife. I felt like there was almost a non-existence of a relationship there. There was total whiplash, no pun intended, between the scenes of Neil Armstrong training and then him at home, you know, where he's, he's taking his job seriously and he's super excited and then he gets home and he's just kind of annoyed with his wife. I I wholeheartedly agree. In fact, the last scene of the film is Janet... Uh, going in to meet with Neil after he is he's come back, he's in quarantine, so they can't embrace. But I don't think they would have if they could have. I found it a moving scene, if only for the sense that they've finally reconnected after mourning the death of their daughter, after all of the stress of what his job entails. I liked the last minute of the movie. I thought that that uh, I, I I actually appreciated the fact that it didn't just end with him dropping his daughter's bracelet into orbit. I liked that there was a a reconnection to his life in in that final minute. But up until then, it's like I wouldn't have believed for a second that they were married. They did not seem to care for each other very much. But I. I guess I was I was really hungry for some catharsis at that point. I thought she's going to come in and he was going to tell her that he took Karen's bracelet up and that he left it there. And they were going to have just like three or four sentences where he gets to finally say something about their, their daughter's death to his wife. 
and that that would be cathartic for him. And then they could start anew. I thought that would be the beautiful moment. And instead we get yeah. almost nothing. Yeah. I really, I really did struggle. I agree. And again, I just felt like both of them were just kind of vacant. But I, on the other hand, I really, I'm a kind of a, a nerd for the the space program. I really enjoyed the sequences of all the training. I thought all the, all the, you know, them developing the different technology. I liked seeing all the supporting players and the other astronauts. I don't think that the the plugs out test was quite as good as the uh, episode of From the Earth to the Moon. If you ever saw that HBO television series, it's a fantastic one hour of television. Uh, the one episode that deals with the, the plugs out test and the disaster uh, of the Apollo One team uh, is great. But I, I just I really thought everything else was handled with such care and such attention to detail that it's it's hard not to root sure. for a film like this. I just wish I could root for the protagonist a little bit more. What's up with that? What's up with that? Ooh, yeah. What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with that? What's up with the dude who pulls a guitar out in Mission Control <laughs> after one of the successful missions? Out of nowhere, this dude pulls an acoustic guitar out from under his desk and just starts plucking the strings right there. How long did that guitar last? Yeah. Before right. someone just snapped it over their knee. <laughs> You're, we're done here. Right. Uh, what's up with the like horrible backlash about them not like having a scene where Neil Armstrong plants the flag on on the moon? Right. Like this became a this became a big deal. Like Ted Cruz has yeah. railed against it, and uh, Damien Chazelle has need to come out and defend the fact that well, no, I, I I'm not making this movie as a rah rah America. It's a testament to human experience and and advancement of technology we we don't need a we don't need a, like a warlike moment up there on the moon right. which of course we never needed right because like that was it that was the end of it like 1969 was was done the the flags up there were we won we we won well, that and- deal well, what's really frustrating about that whole invented controversy is, A, there is a shot of the flag on the moon. You don't get the sequence where he plants it, but, but it's, it's there. Right there. It's visible in the film, yeah. They also have multiple shots of the lunar module, which has American flags taped to it. So Descending every rocket onto says the USA. Surface, yeah. I mean, they yeah. have the flag on their astronaut uniform. I mean, it's not like... It's not like Damon Chazelle went through and sanitized anything having to do with the USA from this movie out of some sort of embarrassment. No. This is a, a movie certainly proud of Americans and the achievement, but but um, a human being walking on the moon was really more of a human achievement. Right, right. Uh, I mean, it, it, certainly in the 60s in the space race, of course, you, the, the U.S. wanted the credit and took the credit. But I, it's just so sad that that became a thing where people just have to get – so ticked off about anything. I think that the movie did a really good job of. I mean, there's a scene late in the movie where we t- where they showed John F. Kennedy talking about going to the moon, and this was obviously his dream that was realized several years after his death. And and I think that it's kind of embarrassing that we have a a controversy over the fact that there's not a a swelling James Horner score behind somebody right. sticking the flag on the lunar surface. 
Right. But there is a shot of the flag on the lunar surface. It, just so everyone can totally see that. So everyone yes. can the movie. Right. I was uh, taking an Uber back uh, after the movie, and okay. the, the driver asked what I'd seen. And I, I told her that I saw this film, First Man, and what it was about. And she immediately said, oh, screw those guys. <laughs> what guys? I was like, who? Like, who, who, who? like the filmmakers? <laughs> like Ryan Gosling or like Neil Armstrong in, in particular? Or just people in science in general? Like, uh, yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't know what this was. But it, it, she blamed – she said, you know, before the astronauts started going up and poking holes in the atmosphere, we used to have four full seasons a year – Oh, dear. And now they went up, punched a bunch of holes in the atmosphere. Now we have global warming. Uh, wow. And so she was explicitly blaming NASA and the space race for permeating the atmosphere so many times that it has caused global warming. And she was very concerned about humans now going to Mars so that we can ruin their atmosphere for all the Martians. <laughs> And it was a no, good straight face. She's like, you know, we're going to go there and ruin their planet. She wasn't messing with you? No, no, no. She was of the pretty Martians, upset so. about it. Wow. Yeah, yeah. She got pretty animated. I thought, you can let me out a few blocks earlier than my... So I got out and walked. So, she was getting so ramped up. So, so a couple of things in response to that. Number one, anytime my uh, Uber selection comes up as a rating for this person has... Great conversation skills. I delete. I yeah, I'm just gonna cancel that one. Anyway, just is kind of a crazy Uber ride home, but uh, I knew that it would be topical for our discussion and, and for you personally. Quick other things. What's up with the Whitey on the Moon protest song being so catchy? I'm gonna be snapping my fingers to that tonight. What's up with the cage? that they're in the astronauts are in during a press conference like they're up on stage they're sitting at a at like a long desk the three of them and the desk is in a giant wire cage <laughs> what was up with I, that I didn't, even, I didn't even pay that close attention oh my gosh it's so crazy nice, nice what's up with the actor ethan embry from the movie can't um can't hardly wait can't hardly wait was that the one with the jennifer love hewitt like yes, 20 yes. years ago yeah oh jesus What's up with actor Ethan Embry from the movie Can't Hardly Wait, starring Jennifer Love Hewitt in the mid-90s? He's in this movie. He's one of the guys wearing paper hats who's at the top of the tower as the astronauts come out and they're getting into the module for Gemini 8. Are you he sure it was him? He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a line. Oh, it's clearly dear. him. I did check IMDb and it's him. This guy who started movies it's and fantastic. now he's like – faceless nameless extra in a paper hat like that was like with seth green right wasn't yeah, seth yeah, green yeah, yeah. In there? all right yeah. all right <laughs> buddy are you ready for five questions yes let's do this all right we've got five listener submitted questions thank you listeners question number one why was everyone in the movie saying gemini isn't it gemini that was obnoxious. I don't know why they did that. Yeah, was that was weird, right? Yeah, I, I, that I found was distracting. That, I found that annoying, yeah. All right, question number two. Does the world need a permanent moon base? And could Trump's 2017 Space Policy Directive 1 get us there? I think need is a strong word in that instance. I don't know that we need a moon base, but I'm okay. open to having one. Sure. All right, all right. We'll, uh, we'll get there soon then. Uh, question number three. While promoting... 
Oh while, while promoting Pacific Rim in 2013, Idris Elba said Ryan Gosling is the actor he'd most like to work with. But Gosling declined to join Elba in the 2018 sequel. Do you think Ryan regrets turning down that Pacific Rim job? Oh, listeners. Um, no, I don't think he do, he, I don't think he regrets that. All right. All right. Question question number <laughs> question number 4. Every time. A February 2001 Fox Network survey found nearly 20% of their viewers believe the landing was a hoax. Why are so many people able to write off this historic achievement as fake news? I don't understand. I really don't. Yeah. I mean, it's right up there with, like, Holocaust deniers. I don't understand yeah. why we, why anyone spends the time trying to think that it's manufactured. Question number five. Will the Apollo 1 disaster... While the, oh, Apollo, no. while the Apollo 1 disaster was tragic, be honest... How satisfying was it to watch Jason Clark be burned alive? Oh, come on, listeners. Jeez, two out of five this week. That's a terrible question. I will not dignify it with the response. We are all dumber for having heard that question. We're certainly worse humans for having heard that question. Thanks and for submitting it anyway. And that's five questions. Final thoughts, Danny. I would recommend that people see it. I think from a craft standpoint and technically speaking, I think it's a superb film. I think cinematography, production design, costume design, um, uh, score, sound, sound editing, film editing, all of those things, it should be in the hunt uh, at this point for awards. Acting, I think, is a bit of a stretch, and I wouldn't say it's the best picture of the year. How about you? I came home and thought that the movie was so-so, and after 48 hours, I think that I would tell people to go see it. I, I think that I've appreciated it more as I've let it simmer a bit, and uh, I, I agree that there's there's more to it uh, on the, the below-the-line nomination areas, which is kind of sad because this isn't a science fiction film. This is right. This is real life. Uh, but I think that like some of those technical categories were just out of the park. I, I, the the sound and the visuals that you've uh, referenced earlier, I, I think, are great. I think it's a movie worth seeing. Well, coming up next, we've got a special double feature episode in which we will see and review both the original uh, horror film Halloween and the new 2018 sequel. So I look forward to that. Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.